Well, I am grateful to be here this morning. In fact, uh, in light of the last seven or eight months, I'm, gl- I'm grateful to be anywhere this morning. Uh, in Indiana, where I live, uh, our church was actually just online all the way up until uh, right around the 1st of September. And so, uh, having been used to being in a different church every Sunday, uh, pretty much my entire adult life, uh, this has been quite an adjustment. Of all places, I was standing in the middle of the streets in Tombstone, Arizona in the beginning of March, right in front of the OK Corral. I was out there with a a group called the Sidewalk Prophets. We were doing shows in Phoenix, and I decided to get in a day of history and go down and learn about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and everything. And I'm standing in the middle of the street, and I get this message saying, there is a deadly virus that we are going to do our show tonight in Phoenix, and then everyone's going home, and we're going to be probably out of work for about three or four weeks. And that has turned into about eight months of unemployment. So um, it has been, what a crazy year. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that could share a a similar story this morning. Most of us um, know someone who has been out of work. Maybe you know someone who's lost their business, a business that maybe sometimes uh, folks have worked for generations to to build, and that's all gone now. A lot of us know people who have been ill, Maybe, uh, or maybe someone in this room can say, yes, I, I know what it's like to have this virus. Um, so we've all gone through it. Uh, folks not being able to attend um, funerals or visit uh, sick relatives or, or go to weddings. It has been a very, very strange year to say the very least. But this morning, I wanted to bring uh, a message of encouragement and a reminder that folks, even in the face of all of these things, the state of the world this year, Um, We are still so incredibly blessed. We really are. Um, I I know it's not a popular thing to say uh, these days, and I I don't much care. We're fortunate that we live here. We're fortunate that we are Americans. For the past decade, I've been a virtual globetrotter without a basketball, uh, traveling, doing missions projects all over the world. I've been to Africa multiple times, El Salvador, South America, Um, Haiti, the Dominican, Mexico. I've been all over the place. And I have to tell you, every single time I get off of a plane in another country, all I can think in my mind is I'm grateful that in three weeks I can go back to this great country where I'm free to worship, this great country where someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. And so, again, we are so very blessed. And not because we have these great buildings or SUVs out in the parking lot or bank accounts or houses. That, That stuff doesn't make us blessed. Our resources don't make us blessed. Our resources make us responsible. Our blessing is Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross does for us today and into eternity. He's our blessing. But still, we are so very, very fortunate. The gospel, I I mentioned that word, being grateful someone has shared the gospel with us. If you've been around the church very long, you know that the word gospel means good news. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that gospel did not originate as a religious or biblical term. If you go back centuries, in fact, the word gospel was first used as a political word in this sense. Uh, there could be a kingdom that had an emperor who had a son, and his, his minions or his messengers would proclaim to the kingdom, we want to share the gospel, the good news, that we have this little emperor that has been born who will one day rise and, and, and lead our great nation. 
Um, it eventually then became a military term where generals would return from the battlefield and they would share the gospel, the good news of the conquests and victories that they had over their enemies in the battlefield. The first time we see gospel in the Bible is Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And Mark wastes no time in his gospel using this word, but he does it differently. Mark uses it as a singular where historically it had been used as a plural. But I believe Mark does this in, in order to say, this is the good news to end all good newses. If you know the uh, uh, Christian music band Mercy Me, I travel with those guys a lot, they have a song that say, the gospel's not just the good news, it's the best news ever. And that's what Mark says here in his gospel in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, as I've traveled all over the planet, I've been blessed to not just see the, pro the, the gospel proclaimed, but I've been, a, I've been blessed to, to see it lived out. I've been on a lot of trips, but this morning, I want to tell you just very briefly about a time when I went to Ethiopia about four years ago. Now, Ethiopia is in eastern Africa, and if you're a history buff, back in the 1980s, Michael Jackson and uh, uh, Kenny Rogers and uh, Willie Nelson and all these musicians, musicians got together, and they wrote a song called, We Are the World. Do you guys remember that? And they sold millions of copies. It was number one for like 30 weeks. But none of the artists took any of the money. They poured the money into the economy in, uh, in Africa, largely in Ethiopia because of the famines. A little while after that, they did a big concert called Live Aid, and the Rolling Stones and Queen and all these bands played there, and they raised even more money to pour into that economy. I have been there, and I can tell you that, that since the 1980s, because of that outpouring of finance, there's still great poverty in Ethiopia, but their economic situation has become way better over the past 40 years because of that effort. What a lot of people don't know is during that same time, the gospel was proclaimed in Ethiopia like never before, and I got to see the fruits of that labor as well. If you travel uh, uh, internationally, I can promise you if you're like me, one of the first things that you're going to wonder about is, man, what am I going to eat for the next three weeks? This is Ethiopia. They used to not even have food here. Are we going to be all right, you know? Sure enough, the first day, we landed in Addis Ababa. We went to the, to the capital there to have a ministry meeting. They were going to tell us everything we were going to be doing. And as we're walking into the ministry center, right next door, there was another building, a white cinder block building. And I noticed the big sign on the front that said, such and such, pizzeria. I thought, all right. I peeked in the window, and it looked like our New York-style pizza. It looked great. I thought, well, nothing else. I know I can come back here. This is when it got interesting. We went inside, and the trip leader says to us, today we are traveling to Project 512. We are going to meet children who have been sponsored by people all over the globe to receive an education, to learn a vocational skill, and to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We will see them in the classroom. Then we will go to their chapel and have a worship service with the children. After worship, we will break for lunch and go next door to the school at a pizza place. I thought, okay, so there's pizza here. There's pizza where we're going. Along the way, we drove 15 minutes to get to this school. I counted another eight or nine pizza places. So I went to the trip leader, and I said, look, I, I'm not, I don't want to offend you or anything, but I didn't really picture pizza in Ethiopia. Like, what gives? And he wasn't trying to be funny, but he says to me, oh, yes, you must realize Ethiopia is the one African country that has never been ruled from the outside years ago. Mussolini comes to rule us, but we drive him back and we defeat his army. 
but we keep his food. We like it. So for the next three weeks, I had spaghetti and calzone, stromboli, lasagna. I gained weight in Ethiopia. I didn't even think that was possible. Also learned that coffee was first born in Ethiopia. I had some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life. But more than the, the food or the coffee or the unintended sense of humor of the Ethiopian, Ethiopian people, I fell in love with the heart of the people, and it was a perspective change for me like none other. I could tell you a bunch of stories, but that first day, we came back from lunch, and we met a single mom who had a seven-year-old boy at the school for his first day of school. He had just been sponsored. It was his first day of school. He had a little brother that was four and a baby sister that she held. Towards the end of the school day, she insisted, we would love for you to come after school to see our home. When she said this, one of the, one of the teachers there at the school stepped in and said, um, we are working on acceptable accommodations for this family. This is their first week here, and, and we're going to take care of them. And I thought, well, wh what does that mean exactly? We left and, and went on a home visit with this young mother and her three children. And she led us down through Addis Ababa through mile. It just seemed like mile after mile. It was probably about a mile of these little corrugated metal boxes, these little tin shanties. Those of you men that were, have ever been in the military, you probably know what I'm talking about. We eventually came to the city landfill in Addis Ababa where the garbage uh, at the landfill there is piled about 20 feet high. It's a huge landfill. And the pastor took us to an area of that landfill where he said, here there is a community of about 12 families. They have burrowed out a cavern, a literal cave, under the garbage piles in Addis Ababa. This is their neighborhood. They live under the garbage here. From there, um, she led us a little further, and we came to a spot where there were two buildings. And this wasn't an alleyway, but it was kind of a space in between the two buildings. And I've actually got a picture, uh, I think, that they could put up on the screen where you can see. We had to get sideways to kind of get down into um, where the guy in the purple shirt is. We came to a spot where there was a hole that had been knocked out of the wall. And as you can see in the top left-hand corner, there were a few blankets on the ground. She said, this is where me and my three children, this is where we sleep. And in that lower uh, left corner there, this is where we keep our things. And she had kind of a blue a jug and a wooden spoon and some other type of a container. We came out of that little space. And we, we got her and her kids together, and we grabbed her hand, and we said, we realize that the project is working on more suitable accommodations for you and your children, but in the meantime, how can we pray for you? When I said this, I'll never forget, her smile went from ear to ear, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, my goodness, you would pray for us? Oh, tell God, thank you, because we lack nothing. Church today, if we left this place, we had to go in town to the side of a building and lay down on the ground on a couple of blankets, we would not say that we lack nothing. We would say that we have nothing. This young mother knew, I may not have much materialistically, but I have my children and we have our God. This morning, I want to read from a passage in Luke chapter 10 kind of quickly. Story of the Good Samaritan. If you've been around church very long, you've heard this story multiple times. If not, uh, probably many times. And if you've never uh, heard this story before, you've at least heard of the Good Samaritan. This is where that story comes from, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In response, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem into Jericho when he was overtaken by robbers. They beat him, they stripped him of his clothes, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He came to the man, he bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after this man and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Church, God can do immeasurably more than we can possibly ask or imagine with the smallest bits of our generosity, especially in this season as we transfer from Thanksgiving into a time of Christmas, a time of giving. He can do things that we can't even begin to imagine if we're simply willing to make ourselves available to serve and to give. Jesus spent three and a half years of his life on this earth modeling this mentality, this game plan for us of serving others, washing feet, telling Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. We were called to serve. You guys know what James 1.27 says? Don't worry, no one else does either. James 1.27 is a verse we never talk about in church. I want you to see this verse this morning. They're going to put it up on the screen. James 1.27 says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and don't be polluted by the world. That's what it says. Acceptable religion to God is looking after those in need. I love that verse. This morning, I want to share briefly the gospel, the good news about how Jesus' story has impacted my life through the generosity of someone else. I was born in August 1968. That's right, I'm 78 years old. And the moment I was born, I was placed immediately into an orphanage up in Western Maryland. I was from a broken home before I ever even arrived here. My birth mother was left alone. She didn't have, her family wouldn't help her. She knew she couldn't take care of me. So I went into foster care. I was passed from foster to foster the first year or two of my life. Uncared for orphan. But while that was taking place, a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, wrote her husband-to-be a letter. She had just graduated high school, just got engaged, 
A week later, that young man got drafted into the U.S. Army and went off to serve in Vietnam. She wrote him a letter, and she said, I've been praying for you every day, in the morning, at night, all through the day. I pray wherever you're at, you're safe. I pray this war will end so all of you guys can come home. But every day when I've been praying, God has been laying on my heart this calling, this desire to be a mom. I I really believe that's why God put me on this earth. I'm supposed to be a mommy. And when I pray, I don't think God wants me to wait. You get back, we get married and have kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. A GI got that letter, and he read it, and he said, Say what? But then he prayed about it, and he wrote her back. He said, you go find a child who has nothing, who has no one. We'll take him in, and we'll raise him together as our own. So she started looking. During the process, he got back. They got married a couple weeks later. They walked into the room where I was being kept, walked right up to my crib. They picked me. That's not even really true. My mom told me a few years ago, you know, we went in there to find a little girl. I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. She said, well, I, I heard your voice. You're in that crib laughing and carrying on. All I could think when I saw you was, I don't know the first thing about this child. He's not my blood. I don't, I don't even know what his name is. But I know this little boy needs a mommy. So she picked me up out of that crib, and along with her <laughs> 21-year-old husband, they took me home, and for the next 18 years, all right, for the next 40 years, Anytime I needed anything, I always had it. Roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I got to play baseball and go to school. I was taken to church even when I didn't want to go. I was that age, you know. That was the first time I ever heard anything about Jesus or God or the gospel, the good news, was when my mom would take me to church. There is not one day that goes by in my life where I don't thank God for her and what she decided to do for me. And I can tell you I have a whole different appreciation for the way Jesus came to this world and that 17-year-old girl that didn't even ask questions of God but said, I accept what you have called me to as your faithful servant. Before I left Ethiopia, I met a little boy named John. We were at an orphanage, and he was out in the field playing football. It was soccer. They call soccer football. And um, he kept running over to me. He was like, go Eagles. Apparently, he played for the Eagles. So I said, go Eagles. And I, I didn't even know who they were playing, but I was rooting for the Eagles. And he'd come over and give me five when something good would happen. And he told me his name. I told him mine. He came over, he'd point and laugh at me. He thought I was funny looking because, well, that's not even important. Anyways, um, at the end of the game, he ran over and he said something really bizarre. He ran over to me and he said, Mr. Tony. After football, I want you to come meet my mama. I said, all right, John, after football, we'll go meet mama. And I thought, wait, this is an orphanage. What's he talking about? After the game was over, he came over. His coach came over with him, and he said, uh, 
And John doesn't live at the orphanage yet. Um, he and his mother live right down here. And we went about 50 yards down a little path and came up on a little, a little hut. It was, it was like the old Gilligan's Island, like, like the just greenery and bamboo is what it reminded me of. Went inside, and I met Mama. And I wasn't there 10 minutes before I understood what was happening. She told me when John was very young, his father went off to work one day, and there was an accident. He never came home. I've done the best I can for my son. I'm so proud of him. But doctors have now told me I'm stage four cancer. I don't have much time. She said, but this project, the child fund, the orphanage, they approached us a year ago and said there is a newly married couple, teenagers in America who just got married in Huntsville, Alabama. They want to sponsor your son. They're going to send him a dollar each day. With that, we can give him an education. She said, my boy is going to school. He gets almost all A's. He's so smart. They're teaching him to play football. Two days a week, he stays after school, and they teach him to work on cars. You see, when I'm gone and he grows to be a man, he'll have a good job. He brings home food and clean water every day, brings me medicine. They value me as his caregiver until I'm not here anymore. She said, five months ago, John went to VBS at the project. He brought Jesus into this home for the first time. He is now Lord over this home and Lord over our lives. This I could never repay. She filled up and she said, Now I know because of our great God and two of his servants in America, I know that no matter when I leave this place, my boy will never be an orphan. Church, Jesus told us in Matthew 25, one day we will all leave this place. We'll have our great getting up morning. And on that judgment day, Jesus said, just like my mom heard my voice, and just like I heard John's, all of us are going to hear the voice of God. And on that day, Jesus said, there's going to be one question, a one-question test. Did you know that? It's the only one in Scripture. We'll all hear God's voice, and he will ask us this question. What? did you do for the least of my brothers? Because I'll tell you whatever you did for them, that's what you did for me. What will we say, church? I think about that a lot. I think my mom will have a pretty good answer. What will we say? Today, um, I want to pray for you guys, but I also want to tell you about something, about a month ago, the Child Fund approached me. I've spoken for Compassion International and World Vision, organizations that help children just like me that weren't born here, were born someone else. Um, they came to me and they said, Tony, we've got 250 children who have been waiting over one year to be sponsored. Can you help? I said, well, I can't sponsor 250 kids, but they can. So a month ago, I started out on the road with 250 kids just like Bill right here. Bill, this is not a stock photo or a picture indicative of a child that may or may not be sponsored. Bill is a real human being. He's as real as any child in this church today. He just wasn't born here. So I took 250 kids out with me about a month ago, and since that time, including this morning, a bunch of kids were sponsored at the early service. We're down to 85 children that need sponsored now, and I'm going to be down here all week, but church I could use your help, but more importantly, they desperately need your help. 
When we get done, I've got a table out there in the, in the open area of the foyer. Uh, come out there and see me. This takes a little over a dollar each day. It's a small Coke at McDonald's. I don't know how many people are doing that well in the face of all of the craziness. If you're out of work like I have been, don't worry about this. But anybody here could buy a Coke at McDonald's right now? Anybody doing that well? We're blessed. Everybody put, there's babies in the nursery right now with their hand up. I was at a church a year ago. This lady down front goes, I get my drinks from Starbucks. I said, well, you could help 10 of these kids then. You guys are laughing because you know it's true. It's perspective. We're blessed. Stop by the table and let's, let's knock a dent. And I've only got 86 left, 85 or 86 to go. So help them. Every single one of them needs it. All right? And I also want to say this. Um, are there opportunities to serve in this church? Yep. There's, there's two left. I'm, I'm kidding. There's unlimited opportunities to serve within the ministries of this church. Guys, we were called to serve and to be the hands and feet of Jesus especially now. This is the season. But man, in 2020, we ought to know nothing is, nothing is guaranteed for tomorrow. I pray that this church can be the hands and feet, the heart of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it, whether that's sponsoring a little boy in Kenya or getting involved here, um, getting involved in your neighborhoods, just helping out those in need. That's, that's my challenge to you guys. Don't forget how blessed you are. Um, I'm going to pray for you, and thank you for letting me share this message. I'll never stop doing this. I can't. I can't. If God gives me 100 years, I'll preach here again. Mark your calendars in the year 2068. And um, I'll stand up and say, open your Bibles to, I can't remember. <clears throat> but then I'll fight for these kids because they can't fight for themselves. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for deeming us um, so important to you that you were willing to send your only son, your only child to this earth that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, I pray that you'll be with this church and their ministries, be with the people here, that they might reach their arms out around this community, this, this state, and this planet through their generosity. Small acts can make such a big difference. Father, we love you. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, for his obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, that we might live. Help us to remember that generosity every single day we live. We pray all of this this morning in that blessed name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that Jesus is worth living for because he believed I was worth dying for.